afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you. Great for us to be able to spend uh, another few minutes looking at this text uh, as we've been working through 2 Corinthians in our theme and our, our series, Comfort in Hardship. It's been going on for quite some time, hasn't it? Um, and we're at different stages, I suppose, for many of us, we're, we're kind of moved out quite a bit from that lockdown experience. But but certainly churches are for quite some time still experiencing the challenge of working out how we can get back together and, and what it will look like. And I don't know about you, but even that extreme lockdown that we experienced a number of weeks ago, it seems it seems in one sense quite a long way away now. But at the same time, it's burned into our memories. It's burned into our history. It's something which we will always remember. Uh, the, the the time that we were cut off from each other for such a long period of time. Uh, and I suppose in lots of ways that is emblematic of the idea of hardship, isn't it? That challenge, that difficulty. I suppose it's also a picture of life, really. Life is an experience of highs and lows. And uh, they come upon us when we don't expect them. Very often we're enjoying a high experience and then suddenly we will be knocked over by something which we never expected. Um, our tendencies, I think, as human beings is try to understand that, try to come to terms with it. I think we do have a, we have a, a tendency to relate those highs to some sort of reward or entitlement. And maybe the lows to some sort of judgment or punishment, whether we call it karma or natural justice, or somehow we interpret the Bible to look at God's judgment on us and God's favor upon us. I just want us to step back for a few minutes this afternoon and look at this particular text where Paul is relating two very contrasting experiences. And his conclusion is that he finds comfort in weakness. That's actually where he finds his strength. There's been an ongoing discussion for quite some time now where Paul is wanting to protect the Corinthian church, this new fledgling church, from teachers who were coming and bringing a different perspective on Jesus, uh, what he describes as a different gospel. Uh, and he wants to uh, bring an authorization for the words that he brings, uh, a way of helping them have confidence. But the way he twists his argument is continually he recognizes that the strength is not in himself, it's in Jesus Christ. And, and secondly, that the things that you would expect to justify him are the things that uh, he doesn't rely on. And the things that you would not expect to justify him are the things that he does rely on. We saw a few weeks ago that he said that the fact that I have suffered so much for the sake of the gospel is precisely a reason why you should believe this gospel that I bring. I think in lots of ways he was reflecting the suffering experience of Jesus, that, that suffering is not 
a, a mark or an emblem of judgment, but can also be an emblem of God's uh, God's purposes working out. And so as we turn to this particular section, we're going to very quickly go through the narrative, look at what he's describing. It's a bit like a seesaw. There's on one side, there's the high experience, uh, the, the, the amazing experience, and then this turning point or the fulcrum on which it all balances. Uh, and then a low experience, and, and both of them relate to Paul. And so we'll look at the first experience. Um, we'll start at verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. This is an incredible moment in Paul's testimony of his life experience. If we understand the structure of the Bible, the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that we see in the New Testament is the incredibly important place uh, of those who were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles as they became. And yet Paul becomes an apostle. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't experience the time with the other disciples in, in Galilee and in Jerusalem. And they, he didn't walk alongside Jesus. He didn't eat with him. He didn't hear him speaking to them directly. In fact, as the message of Jesus began to emerge, Paul was actually a huge enemy of that message. And yet he describes himself as an apostle. He, he describes himself in that way as an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. And here we see the reason why Paul describes himself as that. He is so humble about something which is actually breathtaking. So incredible that he can't really fully comprehend or describe exactly what happened. I know a man, I don't know whether it was in the body or out of the body, that, that comes uh, out twice. It's, it's a mind-blowing experience. He says, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven, taken up to paradise. The understanding of the cosmos at that particular time, the third heaven, was, was that beyond space, that space beyond what we could naturally see and, and brought up into a place of the presence of Jesus. And he heard things which he couldn't express. He couldn't, wouldn't even share them. They are so incredible. He says he is not permitted to tell them. Mind-blowing and an authorization for him to be an apostle, apostle of Jesus. He's effectively saying, I know a man who witnessed the resurrected Jesus. The way that I, the way that that man saw the resurrected Jesus was 
not because he saw him resurrected on this earth, but he was taken to the place where Jesus is reigning supreme. Incredible. And then he uses a really interesting phrase. He says, I'll boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself. Already he's starting us, preparing us, taking us on a journey, shaping our expectations. I think that we would expect somebody who has seen and experienced the resurrected Jesus to have been in that place would have emblazoned that everywhere. What You ask the question, I ask the question. Surely if he'd experienced that, Paul would have written that in every letter that he wrote. If it was such an incredible thing, surely we, we like strong things. We like powerful things to vindicate our message. And yet he says, I'll boast about a man who has the authority to speak, having witnessed the resurrected Jesus, but I won't boast about myself. I'll only boast about my own weakness. Incredible divine intervention was the foundation for Paul not to boast on his experience, but to to even hide himself from being the one who was that person. To talk about a man that he knew 14 years ago and to say, I'm just going to step back. Jesus is at the center and I'll boast in my weakness. We're called to have faith in the resurrected Jesus. And we trust in the resurrected Jesus because there were those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And Paul places himself in that, in that role as being a witness of the resurrected Jesus. So that's this high experience. It's quite breathtaking, isn't it, when we said a, a few minutes earlier that very often we equate um, high experiences as some sort of reward. I want you to think about Paul's high experience in the light of reward. Does Paul deserve a reward like that? Jesus hating, Christian killing, family wrecking, imprisoning, murderer of God's people receives an experience like that. The last of those who deserve it becomes the recipient of astounding grace. Because that's what Paul actually received. He received the riches of heaven, not on his own account, but on the account of Jesus, at the expense of Jesus. Grace was at the heart of that high experience. Now we come to a turning point between the high and the low experience. Look at verse six. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. So he's saying, 
if I did boast about this idea of this experience, I wouldn't be a fool for boasting about that because it really did happen. But I will refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. His experience, his moment where he sees the resurrected Jesus for him could potentially have been something which would build him up, cause him to be thought of very highly in the eyes of people who, who, who heard him, who spent time with him. But he says, no, I don't want you to think too highly of me. Or I don't want you to think highly of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What's Paul saying there? What's the turning point for Paul? The fulcrum, if you like, the, the, the tipping point in this seesaw of high and low experience. His tipping point is this. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I want you to understand that you must never think highly of me for having these revelations. There have been many occasions where people have expressed their revelations, their experiences of Jesus. And, and maybe at times have been pushed forward for, for having that, for experiencing that. I'm, I'm always cautious. I would want us to be cautious and say, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And the way in which Paul recognizes that he is protected from that, the turning point is that he also has a low experience. Look how it continues in verse 7. To keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul experienced profound hardship. There's been all sorts of deliberation about what this thorn in the flesh might be. Uh, to some extent, it, re it really doesn't matter. What Paul says is that there was an experience which, which just overwhelmed me so much so that on three occasions I pleaded that the Lord would reveal, uh, would relieve me of this incredible pain. Take it away from me. Take this pain away from me. This is too much to bear. And it seems as though that pain that Paul experienced never went away for the whole of his life. That's the way it, it seems. But instead of it being relieved, he received something of inestimable value. 
and it's in the answer that he received when he asked for the third time for it to be relieved. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's incredible, isn't it? Paul's response, Paul hears the response of Jesus, which says, my grace is sufficient in your life. My strength is displayed, is seen, is understood, is comprehended in your weakness, not in your strength, in your weakness. And then his response is, well, if that's the case, if that's the response, I delight in that weakness. I would love, and I pray maybe, pray with me that, that we will all, by grace, increasingly find that understanding of God that in our difficulties we can rejoice because our weakness is the very place where the power of God is most seen and understood. I think that's so true. We understand it ourselves. And very often it's what people look on and see and understand. It's in the lowest experiences which we know the most powerful understandings of Jesus. I want to just very quickly in a few minutes just identify six things that come out of these high and low experiences which even though they seem so contrasting they, dis they deliver the same things. First is this, both of those re experiences reveal Jesus. The first one reveals to Paul the living Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees who he is. He sees the glory of his resurrected place. He sees that he is the one who came to this earth and lived and died, was buried, was raised again and returned to glory. He sees the true nature of Jesus. But the second reveals the working presence of Jesus in his life. We need to know one. We need to know that Jesus is resurrected. But we need to experience the power of Jesus in our lives. In a sense, we can trust the witnesses and not see Jesus more than we need to know his hand upon our lives. So they both reveal Jesus Christ. The second is they both build faith. I, I guess that each of the apostles, and with the exception of one, all died an untimely death, including Paul. Each one of them was so confident their faith in Jesus was absolutely fixed in the knowledge that they knew he had risen again. Paul knew that he had risen again when he lived. When he saw the presence of Jesus, he hadn't seen him live in this world, but he saw him living in eternal glory. But the second and the faith building experience for Paul in the thorn in the flesh was that he knows 
that the work of Jesus in his life will build his own faith in that Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you to carry on day after day, to take another step forward tomorrow, to carry on because I will be alongside you. Have faith in me because this experience is not outside of my hand. This experience is not going to overwhelm you completely. And even if it in human terms seems that it does, you are eternally secure. So secondly, they are both faith building. Thirdly, they are comfort creating. We've been looking for comfort and hardship through this book. The greatest comfort that we can truly know is that there is a greater power, a greater glory, a greater majesty above everything that we can see around us. The first experience of Jesus that Paul had revealed to him the incredible nature of the divine resurrected Jesus. Beyond anything that we could experience, more divine power and glory, uh, cosmic authority, incredible majesty, holiness. That's a comfort to know that that exists outside of this world. But also he knew the comfort of the gentle Jesus that walked alongside him as he experienced the thorn in the flesh that, that he didn't seem able to bear himself. And yet with Jesus walking alongside him, he was able finally to rejoice. The fourth thing, they are both self-sufficiency crushing. Paul was overwhelmed, as was John when he saw a similar vision of the resurrected Jesus in the book of Revelation. He was overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus. In the light of that, in the light of that glorious, incredible power and majesty, our self-sufficiency is pathetically feeble and ineffective. But also, he realized that in the day-to-day -day experience, maybe like our day-to-day -day experiences, maybe you're going through, maybe I'm going through a difficulty or a challenge or an experience that I don't know whether I can bear it. You don't know whether you can bear it, but the self-sufficiency that is stripped away from us at that point when it is replaced with faith in Jesus who says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, then the stripping of our self-sufficiency is not a bad thing, it is a good thing. Fifthly, they are both eternity securing. If Jesus Christ has risen, and Paul says this on a number of occasions in different ways, if Jesus Christ is risen, then we can be sure and secure that we will rise again if we trust in him. The first experience he saw that risen Jesus. It's eternity securing to know that that's true, but it's also eternity securing 
to know that the thorns in the flesh in this life which press us down will not ultimately disconnect us from that resurrected experience. They go together. When we finally feel and are seen to be beaten in human terms, we will be victors. That's the promise of the resurrection of Jesus. So we've got both of those experiences and we've had five ways in which they have been similar. The sixth is another way in which they are similar, but I'll describe it in a dif different way. Where both are, in this case, we'll say neither of them are a reward or a punishment. Not a moment of Paul's experience, not a moment of Paul's recounting, does he describe either of them as a reward or a punishment? Do you sometimes feel as though that thorn in the flesh is somehow a punishment from God for what you did back there somewhere, what you thought back there somewhere? That's not how Paul experienced it. Even a thorn in the flesh from the hand of Satan to torment him, as though God leaves him, takes his hand off Paul and, and the floodgates open for Satan to oppress him. And there is no sense in which he interprets that as Jesus letting go of him so that he might be punished. Neither a reward or a punishment, but both are designed for Paul to experience, know, and trust, and place his satisfaction and hope in that Jesus more day by day. What's our response? We try to look for reasons for the thorns, and we try to look for reasons for the mountaintops. I hope as we're coming towards the end of this book that we're beginning to realize that neither one is a reward or the other is a punishment. But they are both the ongoing work of Jesus in our lives. So that as we place more of our trust in him and less of our trust in ourselves, we might find comfort in hardship. I pray that's the case. God bless. Let's pray, shall we, before we get into the things that you could take away so if you're a if you're somebody who prays take a second to pray with me father god we thank you uh, that you don't speak you don't think you don't speak like i speak you don't speak like we speak and we thank you for the incredible love the way that you speak to us through that cross uh, you speak forgiveness uh, by the way that you act Father, move, move us with that, we pray. Father, you speak with such power uh, that planets shoot into space. Father, humble us, we pray, um, as we learn that of you just now. Uh, you take time to speak uh, to each one of us. Uh, it's possible uh, by the way that you speak uh, that even our hearts can be convicted 
Now we don't just act because we're scared of you, but we act and because we know that you're awesome and we know that you're good. Father, thank you for the way that you speak. We just pray that your words will burn. Um, burn a hole in us, burn a hole through our pride, humble us. Give us a different look at the world. Pray that your words will give us hope. In a world that looks a little bit lost and a little bit confused, Father God, just we pray that we will hear your voice. A voice that has answers. A voice that has reasons. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for the way that you speak. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. We just hold it dearly just now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, cool. So a few things just to take away. If you've only got one minute, which which is sometimes the case, that you've just literally got one minute in a whole week. If you've just got one minute, try to um, think over, even be thankful for those thorns, the weaknesses that Paul was referencing. He didn't just reference the, the weaknesses, did he? He referenced the highs and the lows. Um, Paul in his text says that the, the weaknesses were really helpful to him. Allowed him to well allowed him to not become conceited. But also allowed him to experience God at a bigger level. So if you've got one minute, sit down and and mull over the the weaknesses and try and think of them or see them as gifts, which we won't always do. Um, if you've got five minutes, and this is a bit out there, I was uh, flicking through some songs I could share with you, and I don't always go to Lecrae, and I don't always go to rap or Christian rap, um, but I think it's it's great to have on your playlist a song that talks to you, not just about bigging yourself up, um, but about um, humbling yourself and just how powerful and awesome that is and if nothing else to hear Lecrae rhyme Nebuchadnezzar with keep it together is a joy so you've definitely got to listen to it for that also maybe you know listen back to Ant's song as well but you know add add a humble song to your playlist and if you've got 10 minutes if you've got 10 minutes well actually it says half an hour doesn't it um, if you've got half an hour you might not be able to do this in 10 minutes spend some time somewhere that reminds you of how big God is in order that you'll be humbled. So drive up drive up to the highest point round about where you live and look at the panoramic of creation. Pop your head out the window late at night and see the stars. Read through the creation account and thank God that it's real and that he designed it. Read through a passage like Isaiah 6 and see just how holy and awesome God is. Read through something, dwell on something that just reminds you how big God is. Those are your takeaways. If you've got one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes, keep some of these things mulling over in your mind. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. I hope you have a great week. God bless. <laughs>